Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Daniel Sloss. He's a comedian, podcaster, and now an author. Everyone you hate is going to die, but so is everyone you love. And so are you. Before that happens, you need to live and breathe and make some friends and hopefully find a partner and start a family and have fun. Today, we get to hear Daniel's best advice for how to avoid total failure at this. Expect to learn why boomers would probably get wrecked on Tinder, what Daniel's thoughts are on his Netflix special Jigsaw now as a happily engaged man, how you should break up with someone, why Dave Chappelle's controversy should surprise nobody, whether leaving a relationship because you want to sleep around is a good reason, and much more. It's just peak sloss being sloss today, giving out very sweary, very Scottish relationship advice. And yeah, ever since the first episode I did with him, he's always fantastic. You're going to absolutely love this one. In very special other news, this episode is brought to you by me. That's right. I'm taking up an ad spot on my own show because I can, because it's my show and I can do exactly what I want. And because the Modern Wisdom community is now live head to modernwisdom.locals.com. There is a link in the show notes below, modernwisdom.locals.com, and you can join right now. It's basically like a private Facebook feed. You can post stuff. You can connect with other people that listen to the show. Me and all of the team can post things. Video Guy Dean can post behind the scenes. There is already an exclusive 80-minute episode with Johnny and Youssef, which I recorded last week, which is amazing. And the only way that you can access that is by joining Locals. There's going to be live streams, Q&As. We'll have discussion threads about every episode each day when they go up. We'll be able to have suggestions from you for guests you want me to reach out to, for threads and stories and other bits that you want me to react to. You can actually message me directly and get in contact, give me feedback, give me ideas and suggestions. All of this is facilitated through Locals. I'm really, really blown away by the platform like you can just access it on your phone or on your desktop or there's a mobile app as well and it's free to download you can join for free if you want to support and get access to extra content then you can pay and it's like as little as five dollars a month if you want to support the show so if you love what i do and you love modern wisdom uh, then you can do that and you can join and you can connect and you can make other friends that all love the same sort of things that you do like-minded people uh, yeah, I'm so gassed. I really, really hope that you like this. I've been working on it for a long time, and I really want somewhere where we can all get together and connect. Modernwisdom.locals.com, or there is a link in the show notes below. Go right now, this very second, and join. Modernwisdom.locals.com. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 thousand companies have already made the move so do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern 
right now. That's netsuite.com slash modern. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've worn Whoop for over four years now, since way before they were a partner on the show, and it is the only wearable I have ever stuck with because it's the best. It is so innocuous, you do not remember that you've got it on, and yet it tracks absolutely everything 24-7 via something from your wrist. It tracks your heart rate, it tracks your sleep, your recovery, all of your workouts, your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, how much you're breathing throughout the night. It puts all of this into an app and spits out very simple, easy to understand, and fantastic fantastically usable data. It's phenomenal. I am a massive, massive fan of Whoop, and that is why it's the only wearable that I've ever stuck with. You can join for free, pay nothing for the brand new Whoop 4.0 strap, plus you get your first month for free, and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it for free, try it for free, and if you do not like it, after 29 days, they will give you your money back. Head to join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. That's join.whoop.com slash modern wisdom. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. But now it's time for relationship advice with Daniel Sloss. Daniel Sloss in the building. How are you doing? Yeah, I mean, in my building. It's an outhouse. It's very nice. Yeah, it is. Thank you. It was uh, built in a panic during a pandemic to record an audiobook and is now used as a masturbatorium. <laughs> is that the technical term? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it makes if you just call it like your jack-off room, that sounds like dead unclassy, and I don't think I'd be allowed to get away with it. But like masturbatorium makes it seems like I have a, you know, a, a jacket. I drink a cognac while I do it, and I've got a monocle in. Like there's a community of people that do it with you and a subreddit and a Discord server. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We all make sure we log in at the same time. And that's the look, the one thing you can say about the pandemic is look, we all got our own communities. And the Masturbatorium membership was one of them. Have you seen yeah. you haven't seen Chappelle's new special yet? No, no, I haven't. I was too busy watching. Um I wanted to and then Squid Game came out and I binged that. Um I've not watched the last episode because I can't get over how fucking appalling those all the english characters are or and all the american characters are so bad man like it's i i wonder if like if this is just like south korean revenge for the amount of times like we've made movies and television shows and like we get people for, like playing south koreans or uh any like you know chinese or japanese person and we just give them shit dialogue because we're translating it so that's not how they talk and like to them watching our shows they must be like Man, that's not how we sound at all. Like, this is really shit. And now they've just done that, done that to us. They've made an incredible TV show. And then every time it's any English-speaking person, it's the worst written dialogue in the world. Yeah, it really does feel like they're taking the piss. You think It's got oh. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes at the moment, I think. Yeah. And it's, got, it's going to be the biggest show on Netflix this year. And they've decided to give the English and American people... It's like what I imagine Korean people think... English and American people sound like. Yeah, yeah, like it's a, that's it's nice to see as in a stereotype, which yeah. is just like aristocratic, <laughs> big, giant wankers obsessed with sex and talking about how rich they are. Glittery constantly. heads. Yeah. Yes. 
smoking I'm off jackets. I to get a blowjob from the blowjob room, like some sort of king. <laughs> Aren't the poor funny? They're part of the masturbatorium. Yes, uh, they are. The masturbatorium consortium. Uh, yeah, that's... That's the blend there. Um, so I, I watched that, and then I watched fucking um, what's that one? That's uh, Vigil. Oh, that was good. Oh, really good. Really thoroughly enjoyed that. And then I'm gonna get into and gonna get into Chappelle, but I'm also not on social media, uh, so I don't see uh, any of the the cancel culture, whatever the fuck is going on. Yeah. So Chappelle's new special, he talks about how it's the gender debate again like men and women and he sides with jk rowling and he says that turf is he aligns that with how do you say like scientific reality or like biological reality that's saying that men are men and women are women and fuck like it's just it went completely bonkers on the internet and it's got rotten tomatoes this is one of the things that's so interesting rotten tomatoes got a 96 percent user rating on it but the critic uh-huh. score hasn't come in. And I think it happened with his last one where the critic score was like 30% and the, yeah. user, the user rating was like 96. So he just keeps on injecting himself into these. Yeah, man, I just think it's 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 kind of like, I always used to really get annoyed when anyone would go and see Frankie Boyle and then still get offended. And it's like, man, at one point, the responsibility is on you. Like if you like if you go to a Frankie Boyle show and you get offended, like what else were you fucking expecting? Like the the contract is signed when you walk into the room. If I'm off to see this comedian who I know, you know, is going to say some horrendous thing because that's what he does. That's why I like him in the first place. It's the shit I enjoy about him. But the second he aims that at me, I don't like it so much as anymore. And it's you know, I don't agree with everything Chappelle says, but I don't think I, I agree with anything everything every comedian says. Like I I like I'm a fan of the art of it like i can fucking separate um you know politics and 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 personal opinion from just being like man if you write a joke really well about my dead sister i'll still fucking laugh at that joke like i know it's personal right and i might cry about it later on but there'll be at least five minutes where i can appreciate the craft of what you did that's the problem that a lot of comedians highlight right that people are happy for a comedian to take shots at this group and this group and this group but as soon as that alignment happens to be where you sit about something that you care about then people decide to get offended well yeah and i also get that man it's very easy to it's much easier to laugh at someone else than it is to laugh at yourself laughing at yourself is very difficult and i'm still not even fucking good at it like i'm man i'm a comedian that preaches you should be allowed to joke about what you want but that doesn't mean when my friends insult me i still don't get fucking precious like being a human being is complicated and sometimes our emotions overwhelm us and we turn into whiny pieces of shit but you know it's to, to make sure that you don't stand by those opinions for the rest of the fucking uh, rest of your life like i will i've always said i'll defend any comedian's right to say any joke about any fucking subject but i will also if you tell a fucking shitty joke and you get booed by your audience <laughs> like i'm also enjoying that motherfucker like you tried to push the boundaries you fucking missed the mark and now you're getting your fucking come up and this is not cancel culture it's no difference from doing a fucking it's no different from doing a joke in a comedy club that turns the entire audience against you and they go boo or they don't like it but yeah you come off you have a cry you go drive four hours home you have a wank in a fucking service station toilet like that's the game when you get cancelled online that's just what's happening but i mean for like fucking weirder reasons be like somebody coming to a new comedy club and yelling at you for a joke you told eight years ago that's when it gets a bit you know shite 
There's a quote from your book, new book, which people yeah. can go and buy. Uh, and it's talking about what I realized was you don't think that people should have an opinion on everything, which is actually, that is quite a controversial opinion to have. So mm. I don't know what it's like to not feel comfortable in your own body. So asking me for my opinion on gender fluidity would be like asking the Pope for his stance on rimming. I've got one, but it doesn't really matter. Sound yeah. cowardly, it is. I've seen too many good men and women die in that minefield, and I'm not being paid enough to walk through it with a fucking blindfold on. Do you need to have an opinion on everything? Yeah, uh, no, I don't think you do. And, and that's man, I'll stay out of some debates, and people will call it cowardly. You go, man, I, I don't respect my own opinion on some things. Like I know what I know a lot about. I I will argue with anyone about fucking comedy, and the reason that is is I know more about comedy than ninety nine point nine percent of the population because I've watched it longer, I've done it longer, I study it more. Like it's my obsession. I know that. Do I know anything about fucking ballet or poetry? Get fucked. I'm not going to fight as passionately for who the greatest ballet dancer. But I, I don't even give a shit. But we live in a time now where you know. Everything is so polarized, intentionally fucking polarized that, you know, people just want an excuse to fucking hate someone else because hate feels really good, man. It's that close to love. And when you're not loved, hate's a fucking fun substitute for a lot of people. Um, and, it, and it's just nice to sort of get um, angry. So that's why, you know, I'm, I, th I think you can joke about anything, but just because you can doesn't mean I would. And doesn't mean you necessarily should. Like, I think there is a responsibility sometimes to go, right, what are you making a joke about, right? And why are you making the joke? Now, you don't have to. You're a comedian. I'll defend your right to tell any joke for any fucking reason for the sake of a laugh. But that doesn't mean, I'm, I, as a comedian, I don't have morals. I'm still on a moral level going, are you saying that joke just to piss people off? Are you saying that joke just because you like pissing those people off? Are you trying to be derogatory? And you're, you know, it's it's complex. Um, and I make sure that, well, at least I try to make sure that when I'm talking about something, I at least either have knowledge of it and my own unique opinion on it, or I make it very obvious that I'm aware I'm a moron and nothing I say should be taken seriously. That's the safety blanket, yeah. Your yeah. livelihood relies on your ability to say words, though. And yeah. there's, we, we are having some words being thrown into different buckets. And you talk about that with your experience with your sister as one of, yeah. the, one of the little batches. Are you concerned long term about words becoming taboo? Or do you think it's like just a lot of fuss about nothing? Um, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I write the word spastic and retard in the book. People will, those are trigger words for some people, and I respect people uh, who are triggered by those words. I don't have the same triggers, though. Those words mean different uh, things to me. If somebody doesn't like my use of a certain word and then never wants to consume my art again, I respect that as an opinion. Okay, I get it. I, but I'm not, I don't need you to be a fan. Like, that's not what art is. I didn't, I didn't create what I do to get you. I created what I do because that's what I like. You can choose to consume it or you can choose not to. And that's the boundary both artist and consumer forget a lot of the time because you've got artists that are obsessed with keeping their fans. You're like, no, no, man, you've changed the gallery. Like people walk through, they might not come back. Like they might enjoy you for a period of time and that's great. And then you grow and they grow and it would be fucking insane for you to try and grow with your audience because that's not what they want to do. 
they didn't come to you because you were like them. They went to you because they were like you. And if you diverge at any point, hopefully they're mature enough to be able to go, okay, you know, I don't agree with what he says anymore, but I still like his style or I still want to consume sort of stuff. And oh, and I like having another opinion in my head. Or they go, you know what, I fucking hate this person now. I don't like you and I don't want to, I don't want to watch your stuff anymore. And as the artist, you go, okay. Stop fighting for them. They're gone. Man, I went. First time I did, like, uh, like real material was when I was about 21. Like, I'd done four years of The Fringe, and it was when I was doing, like, loads of, like, you know, pre-Watershed TV, like, Paulo Grady and stuff. I was TV-friendly, not swearing too much. My mum's weird. My dad does this, blah, blah, blah. And then... You know, I sell out a bunch of shows during the fringe on that. There's like 400 people in a day coming to see me live. And then I start talking about how there's no God. And I think drugs are great. And I think all religious people are stupid. And every single day I had to watch 20 to 30 people leave the room because they'd come to see what they'd seen on television. They weren't getting that. And they were choosing to, and they're, man, they're allowed to leave. Like I had, they, it was hard to watch, man. It was gutting. And there was part of me that was like, no, 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 change the material. You know, you have the skill to keep those people in the room, so do it. And then I had to consciously go, no, like people are are allowed to not enjoy your work. That's the point. If you were, if everyone loved your work, you'd be Peter Kay and Peter Kay is shit. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose as well, when you get to the size of Chappelle and you're so established and you've been in the industry for so long, you can kind of do what you want. You can take the art form in your own way. Yeah, and also, man, it's like it's. I still every single time there is going to be a Dave Chappelle special. There's going to be the same fire. One because the media knows it causes this massive argument, so they can obviously get all the clicks from the. Here's the most extreme opinion on this side. Here's the most extreme opinion on this side. Let's put them together in the same article and claim that that represents the audience fifty fifty. And you'll get people coming in and defending it, and people coming in and being like, "Oh, does he have to do it again?" And all opinions are. Oh, everyone is entitled to an opinion. That's a rule, but not every opinion is fucking equal. And also people don't have to respect or even hear your opinion. You're not entitled to have your fucking opinion heard. That's not that's not what everyone's entitled to an opinion means. You can have one, but we don't have to fucking listen to it. I don't know you. I don't care about you. Shut the fuck up. Why would I listen to your opinion? Right? I, I, people listen to my opinion because I've worked on that for years and years and years. That's why I've got the fucking gall to tell you my opinion. People pay for it, cunt. Who the fuck are you? Seven users watched Bull Burnham a bunch of times, which is a special I adore, by the way. But it doesn't mean you know more than me, motherfucker. Jesus Christ. All <laughs> right. Have you actually been cited as one of the causes for a divorce? Yeah. Yeah, man. Actually like- cited on the piece of paper? Yeah, as in, like, it's, like, what they, like, because, oh, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know a lot about uh, divorce uh, law. law and stuff, <laughs> but, like, people have brought the bits of paper and, you know, when they've got, like, reasons, like, the bit where I sign says my name and the show. Yeah, Jake's because you've one. signed them. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just autograph them, like, it's a copy of their ones that they're going to frame for whatever reason. 300 divorces, 350 cancelled engagements, and more than 120,000 breakups. Yeah, I mean, those numbers are way higher now, but yeah, like they, we kept having to update it as the book went on. And then, and I stopped counting a while ago uh, just because I mean, I came off of most of social media, so there was just no way to do it. So there are, there are like the, I mean, the breakups are an estimate. We stopped counting the divorces then, we st- but we still get messages through, man. I'll still get at least one a week. 
You're like the fucking harbinger of the breakup apocalypse. I like to people have called uh, Jigsaw like the ring, but for toxic relationships. <laughs> <laughs> like that Once is, you watched it. Yeah. It's like, and again, look, it's, it's never broken up a good couple. Like nobody's, I'm not a magician. <laughs> like there was no, there was no two parents together. They'd been together for 25 years. You know, their eldest was 16. They decided what, and they loved each other so much. High school sweethearts. And then they watched my stand up. And by the end they were like, I hate you. This is over. You can keep the kids. I never, it's never happened. It's people in shitty relationships watch this special and they look at their subpar partner and they go, Oh, I could and I do deserve better than this. How would you advise someone to go through breaking up with a partner then? Or how should people work out if they need to break up? It's a difficult question. A very difficult question. And and the cop-out answer is the true one, which is only you'll know. And but what is also true is sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you're so deluded in your relationship and you're so scared of the other side because you're so terrible at being alone that you've got this thing of like, even if this is shit, it's better than nothing. And that's never true, by the way. Like no relationship is always better than a shit relationship. Like being single isn't the easiest thing in the entire world, but it's objectively better than like going to bed beside someone who you hope stops breathing in the middle of the night. (laughs) Like just that disappointment every fucking morning when your alarm clock goes off and you feel them move on the other side and you go, fuck, all right, (laughs) another one of those days. Here, here she is, Mrs. fucking breathe through her nose. All right, grand, another 24 hours in fucking hell, is it? No. Like, when you start feeling that way, it's probably time to... Because the reason I broke up with my ex was because I wished her, she was dead. And that wasn't because she deserved to die. But I'm like, man, the second I want you to die, or the second I don't want to give you all of myself, you deserve better as well, man. It's like, you got to remember, if you're in a relationship where you don't like the other person, you owe it to them not to waste their fucking time anymore. Like, breakups are always hard, right? We know that because there's no perfect way to do them. I mean, there were. I don't know what was wrong with texting, but apparently we all had a vote. And <laughs> texting's just not like... I don't get I don't get why. It's just so efficient. It's over. No, I, you don't need an expert. Come on, fuck it. It's done. Who cares? But all right, we had a vote and morally it's wrong. I see. I got it. Um, you know, it, it's going to suck for a... Um, uh, a long time and every second you don't break up with them is like time within that person and your own you know healing that you're robbing them from like so i think just- if you're not allowed to text them what's the what's the optimal way to try and get it done because it's difficult you've got this thing you want to do you're talking to a person you're terrified of being on your own you don't want to hurt them you don't want to hurt yourself it's like a it's the perfect cocktail to not make a decision Yes, I, and then there's also the the anxiety, and especially if you are in a toxic relationship, which is the ones I encourage people to get out of, you've always got that fear in the back of your head, whether it's valid or not, that the other person's going to do harm to themselves or others if they're in a heightened, saddened, emotional state. And the brutal truth of it is you are not responsible for other people's feelings and emotions and, or their actions. And it's nice to feel, It's don't get me wrong, it's a nice thing to feel feel that concern for other people that's empathy don't lose that it's not a matter of not being empathetic but it's a matter about understanding where your responsibility to somebody else like like them keeping you in a relationship because you're worried that they'll hurt themselves that's not a good situation uh to be in so i mean make sure that when you do it that they're not you've not isolated them like don't don't go on holiday with them 
and they'd be like, hey, guess what? It's fucking over. Thanks, hey, thanks for coming to where I live. Just to let you know, it's over day one. I know you fly back in a week, but hopefully you can get over it. Scotland's beautiful. Have a walk. Like, that's not a kind way to do it. Do it in a place where you know they can get support afterwards and where you can. Um, but, yeah, I mean, do get out of it as soon as you as you fucking can. Like, why, why waste a second? It's oddly narcissistic to think about the effect that you breaking up with someone has on them. Because people think it's empathy, but it's not. It's narcissism. It's the yeah. belief that without me, how could you go on? I mean, I, yeah. I'm, I'm so fantastic. I'm obviously your entire world. Yeah. Your life yeah. before me was essentially just one big warm-up routine, yeah. awaiting my arrival. Now the king or the queen is here. And yeah. you're just going to be this slobbering mess on the floor, this grey goo. That's How gonna... are you ever going to get a better dick than this? I'd kill myself too. If I were you and I was losing this, I'd be gone. That'd be the end of me. So, yeah, I mean, that is what it is. Fuck, man. What about people that break up? I think you talk about this in the book. People that want to break up because they have the allure of novelty of being single again and just wanting to fuck lots of people. Well, I, I think that's, I mean, I've always said the number, what I believe the number one cause of breakups and, and divorce later on in life is curiosity, which is like, you know, um, this, but let's, let's be true. Love is brilliant and it's what we all should be looking for in life, but we should always be looking for it in its truest form. Just because we're so desperate to find the real thing doesn't mean we should buy a knockoff one other way or settle for a fucking knockoff one. Love is really, really uh, brilliant to explain. Fuck, I've, I've rambled so much, I've forgotten the question. Go again. <laughs> they were talking about whether people should break up because they want to fuck lots of different people. Oh, well, I mean, should is an interesting way to phrase it. But yeah, like you do get if, you get, if you fall in love in high school, man, when you've got no other love to compare it to like and you do and you stay together all that time and you have kids early on because that's part of the plan there will be a point when you're 30 or 40 and you've been with this person for 15 years where you just get curious and it's not in like a, i think i'm going to do well but it's you just don't know your friends aren't in relationships one of them goes through a divorce or you're just so used to this is your new normal now that you know, now that your kids are teenagers, you can slow down a bit and suddenly you're a different person than you were several years ago. Of course you are because you've gone through this. And also the person you're with is a different person because you've all gone through these changes. Now, hopefully you grow uh, together and sometimes you don't, but you can still learn to be with each other uh, during that. But you get this idea of like, oh man, if I was single, I'd be fucking great at it. Like, oh man, I'd I'd, I'd be this, I've got this. And, and it's all a lie. It's all this illusion in our heads that, you know, we, I, I used to have a joke about it on stage that I could never get working, which was like, when you're in a relationship and you picture being single, you're like a lion that's been raised on a zoo. Like, and it's just, you're behind the bars and you're looking at all the humans. You're like, man, if these bars weren't here, I get every one of you. I'm the fucking king of Savannah. I'd mow you all fucking down. In reality, if you were to drop a caged lion who grew up in a zoo in the Savannah, it would be dead in three fucking hours. It's never had to hunt for meat. It had zookeepers just bring it out. Like it would die. It would be. It would be killed by a fucking gazelle. Just, <laughs> a gazelle would just run into the side of it, and it wouldn't know what to do, and it would whimper and die. Like that's people in relationship. But I think they just took that as a massive insult, and they didn't like the joke. The grass is always greener with this stuff man and i yeah. think yeah so many people that are in relationships that have been in them for a very very long time 
they don't know what single life is actually like. Like, yeah. I'm not talking about the idealized top 5% of being single, the excitement of speaking to someone and not knowing if you're going to get it on and then the going back to the house and the taxi ride where you're fumbling around in the back on the way there and being mm. told by the taxi driver to stop doing that you can't do that in here mate and yeah. like that's that that bit's fun but the wake up the next day with the hangover and the existential angst yeah, like the, I, I, the, the constant more... feelings of insufficiency and in, insecurity about whether or not this person does like you the fucking time the time ta- oh my the dear lord the amount of time on whatsapp or on fucking Instagram or whatever. Yeah, and and then, and then all the loneliness as well. I mean, look, being single is a lot of time wasted, and you have to get. If you've been in a relationship for fifteen years, motherfucker, you ain't good at being alone. I know it's alluring to you, but go on a fishing trip. Like you're not ready for real alone. Like that's what you. That's why people get into relationships is because they're so bad at being alone. The, the, the other one is, is the is the is the safer option for them, but. Um, I, I, I always think when people are do get that curiosity of like, oh, I wish I were single. I'm like, man, understand though as well. On the other side, you've got people out here in the single game wishing they'd been in relationships for 15 years, wishing they had that emotional connection with someone and that life journey. Like it's all about uh, perspective and, and whatnot. But it's also why I feel very secure in my relationship because like I'm, I'm, I'm very in love with my fiance. She's uh, wonderful. We've been together for four and a bit uh, years now. But before her, I lived a life, man. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not getting curious when I'm 45. <laughs> like I, I, I did it. It was, it was fun. Uh, it's not uh, me anymore. But um, like I always wanted to settle down and have kids like that was always part of my uh, plan i love children and I, I i i just i've always wanted to be a dad but i always knew that you know that was the when you start that chapter if you do it right the goal is for that to be forever you don't want to do it multiple times uh, best case scenario is it's hard for the rest. and to do that i had to make sure that i wasn't going to be curious i had to make sure that when i was 50 no part of my brain was like i wonder what a threesome's like i had to make sure i knew dude i've got a friend who's big into pick apart three, and i was talking to him years ago about this and i was like man like you put in a lot of graft with yeah. women like an unforgivable amount of time that you put in he was like yeah dude my future wife better thank me for all of this time and effort i'm putting in and i was like please elaborate to me on how your future wife should be so thankful that you've sprayed it around for the last decade of your life. And he's like, well, I don't ever want to be walking down the street with my missus and our two kids and look at a Brazilian girl and think, I want to know what it's like to fuck a Brazilian girl. I want to have done it. I want to have ticked off every single one of the different sexual kinks that I've got because closing those loops gives my future wife the best opportunity for us to make it work. I'm like, well, that that might be... The other way around, man. Like I'm, like I'm glad my fiance lived a fucking life before me, man. Like when people, I find jealousy one of the most insane things in a relationship, especially if it's jealousy on your partner's previous actions before you. Like I'm a big believer in the second we get into a new relationship, if unless it's murder or paedophilia, you've got to forgive me for everything I did before this second because I didn't know you existed before this. Like all of that, don't get me wrong, is a fair representation of my character. And I will always, you know, you have to stand by your actions, even the bad ones. And you admit why they were fucking wrong. But like 
you know, my fiance. I, I write about it in the book, and this was when I wasn't with my uh, fiance. I think I uh, wrote that I really hope she was out there in the world sucking dick right now because I want her to be good at it, and I want her to not be curious when I when we're older together. <laughs> of course, I wanted her to live her fucking life. Every time she talks about, like, you know, we're very open in our relationship about, you know, past conquests and stuff. And, man, I'm proud of it because I wasn't there. And it's nice to know that, I'm like, man, I got, like, I got a good one. This is like finding out that you killed a general. Like, this is, I took, I, <laughs> like, I, t- I, t- I took one of the goats out of the game, motherfucker. This is cool. <laughs> man, if you retire Michael Jordan, come on, you got it. That's a badge. <laughs> What's your thoughts on Tinder? Oh, I loved it back when it was good. Back when there was the the golden era of Tinder. What was that? Uh, before all the losers fucking found it. <laughs> Tinder was this whispered secret promise of this app, which is there's a there's an app just for hookups. And you were like, what, what? No way, there's no way that's true. And like, it's just like-minded people. Because before it was like Plenty of Fish, uh, which is a dating one. I'd done that when I was single. But I always felt that felt bad because it's a dating website, and I was I'm like I don't want to date. Yeah, like uh, it's I also want... designed and looks very much like if the Sunday Sun made a dating site. Yeah. I know that aesthetics and user experience isn't everything, but I want you know Tinder feels at least it felt a little bit more slick. Yeah, it did, and it felt so, and it was just and it was so shallow. And it was just so openly shallow. Like, it was just, yeah, man, you can read about them, but, like, let's not kid ourselves what the first law is. Like, and you just swiped. And, like, it was a very different experience for men and women, and I know that. I'm getting it from the perspective of, like, when it I was a Z-list fucking straight white man on it, right? So I'm not getting the level of abuse that, like, women are getting on. But this was, again, before all that happened, this was still the exciting times. And I remember just being worried because, like, everyone was like, it's just a hookup website. I'm like, oh, God, I don't know how to... I don't think I know how to just hook up with someone. Like, I've, like I normally, like, date and then build up to it. Like, what do we do? And then I was in Australia and, like, met a match with a girl on it. We went out for a couple of drinks. And, it, like, it was hard after, like, four hours. I was like, should we go bang? And I was like huh and she was like yeah like you want to go because it's on tinder and i'm like all, all right yeah oh great and i'm like man this is i was like it's grinder because i've got gay friends and grinder was just this promised land of like hey i've got a button that gets me sex whenever i want it because it's an app of like-minded horny fucking men and it felt like we'd got that and we had a great night and then i remember like the morning afterward i asked her in the morning i went can i have your number and she just went why you don't live here. I'm not coming to Scotland. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't fucking believe it. And then, like, she kissed me goodbye. And I was like, can I come see you later? She's like, no, go. It's done. And I was like, oh, my God. And, like, it, that was Tinder from my experience. Like, whenever I went to America and the UK and stuff was just, I would keep meeting uh women who were just very similar along the lines of, hey, let's, you're here for three days, let's have fun for three days. You know, it's like the perfect, I always argued that it was like the perfect uh, what a relationship is. You get three days of all the lust, all the attraction and all the sex, but without them learning all of your flaws, without you learning all of their flaws. And in the future, like, you know, 20 years down the line when she's married and have kids and she's having a rough day, she can fondly reminisce to the time that we were in Denver, Colorado together and she got her head banged 
yeah, you know, through a headboard by a by a comedian, and then I can look back and it's this perfect memory, you know, in 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 the past, and then. You start getting all the fucking, you know, and then everyone started finding out about Tinder, and then you start getting all the, I'm not here for a one night stand, cunts, and you're like, get off the fucking app, then. Like this was, <laughs> this, this is the one night stand app, you fucking asshole. How fuck? We were having. So These are much our fun. people. This was our place. You have come this into our so sacred much. place, yeah. and you've and ruined it. Yeah, yeah, and I know men ruined it. I know it was that. I know it was my fucking team being creepy and weird and like you know we, there was a golden time when it was just all the fun people. Playing. It was like Rhea. You ever heard of fucking Rhea? No. Oh right, so, right. Oh, let me tell you about this. It's the famous Tinder, right? There's a celebrity Tinder. Okay. Right. So you've got to be like fucking verified on. I think it's like Twitter. And Instagram, and have a and you've got to like send them your profile, and they decide if you're verified enough to get on. Yeah, yeah, Rhea. I Whitney Cummins told me about it, put a recommendation. Jesus, and they told me no. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been on it. Joe on it. Joe fucking Dorman told me about it like six or seven years ago. Like, um, and and I was and, sh- and it's man, it's be- it's celebrity Tinder. So it's like there's just, it's just they're all. Do hard. I fancy a Kardashian tonight? Do I fancy a Cummings? Do I fancy a whatever? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Yeah. Oh God, Jesus Christ! There are a lot of MPs on <laughs> <laughs> in the female section. Strange. All right. So, given the fact that you're very happily engaged now, yes, do you look back on Jigsaw in a different light and in your thought process around Jigsaw differently at all? No, and it's, it's really, and the thing that annoys me is the amount of people that and man, I get it, like. I know it's a joke most of the time when people call me a hypocrite. Like it's it's the joke I fucking make. Like I get it, but at a purely personal whiny level, I'm like I'm not a hypocrite. Jigsaw was never. I never once said love wasn't real. The whole point was it definitely exists, and that's what I was after. It was meant to be. The whole point was. You know, I kept forcing myself into relationships because I was so desperate to be in a relationship because that's what I thought I had to do. I would compromise myself so much in relationships because that's what I'd learned relationships were about, were about sacrifice and about sacrificing part of yourselves for the greater good of this relationship so you and this person can be together forever. And then just, you know, settling and giving up and, you know, compromising your own happiness for the sake of the the greater good night and i didn't i was like that's bullshit like i don't i refuse to believe that's what a relationship is that's what i've done so many times and i've hated all those relationships so now i'm going to i'm going to make sure that in the future you have to love 100 percent of who i am and that was the whole thing like you have to truly love me for all of me and i have found someone like that don't get me wrong it's weird like you think you want it and then you find somebody who actually loves 100 percent of you and you're like oh you're fucked up like that, like you shouldn't, you definitely shouldn't love all of me. Like there are, now that you love all of me, I guess I do kind of have to admit that I am a flawed person and maybe you shouldn't love those flaws because if you love them, I'll not improve them. And it would be nice to, you know, I only hold my, hold myself to a certain level, uh, but because I love you more than I love myself, it would be nicer for you to, but, you know, carry me up and, um, but even then, I, I, I think she, she just wants the best for me and she as long as i'm happy she's happy and that is exactly the type of relationship i was yelling about uh and and the one that you should settle for like the whole thing was she is better for me she's better than being single and that was always i was like yeah being single was so much fun for me 
that if you were going to get me into a relationship, it had to be fucking better. It had to be no. And the second it stopped being better than being single, I'm out that fucking relationship because the other thing is good. I'm always going to go for what makes me happier. Now, definitely happier than I was when I was single, consistently, all the time. Um, not been any. The only arguments we've ever had so far is when I'm being the psychopath. <laughs> And that was just like during the pandemic. And that was a narcissist going from all the attention in the world to none of it. So it was just some adjustments on my side. Some people use that lack of love from the other side as like a, that's an attractive quality or like elements that the other side pulls away. You know, when people get too keen or when people do begin to love 100% of you, you can actually start to pull away from that because you think, hang on, if I don't fully love myself and this person does, fuck, there must be something wrong with them, which means that I shouldn't be in a relationship with them. Yeah. It's so bizarre that the thing that we've wanted all along, which is for someone to accept us for our flaws, you know, warts and all, successes and all, to support us through good times and bad, when someone does do that, because we have such an inherently poor own self-image, we actually t get turned off by that. Yeah, yeah. And, but I, but I th think you can get beyond that. You just have to acknowledge that's what is happening there. What is that? If somebody's truly loving for you for who you are, it's it's not a lack it, it it's not a bad thing on their part you should use that to go right they do love who all of i am and i love them so much i should be better because i want to fucking bat it i don't want to make them love a piece of shit like i don't mind my own like we can all hate our own reputation but if i'm just walking around looking like shit smelling like shit and they still love me that's very irresponsible of me like i should be making them you know they're always going to be proud, proud of what they love yeah yeah but I should be doing my best to make sure that other people aren't going, have you seen what she's let him get away with? <laughs> like, he's just, he's a beast now. He's a smelly, decrepit beast. I can't, and no, she still loves him. She says his heart's good, apparently. Yeah, fucking weird. Another thing is when people, if you fall quite hard for someone, if you love someone very quickly or if you're spending a little bit of time, the same thing can happen. If you get too keen too fast, the, the amount of game playing, I think this is something that I struggled with a lot during my 20s because I wanted to be loved. Like I yeah. really, really wanted, I'm quite an affectionate person, which I, I think that you are as well. Like I just really, really wanted to be loved and have an emotional connection with somebody. And what it leads to is you, your emotions end up being further ahead of how you're displaying your emotions to the other person. So like yeah. your emotions are moving at a thousand miles an hour and you're like, right, yeah, but I need to pump the brakes on what I'm actually texting this person or saying to them in front. So you end up playing this like weird reserved game version of you because you know if you come on too strong, too fast, this person's going to go away. Yeah, trying to decode each other's messages. Like where, like I, I, I don't get me wrong, like there were so many things I did love about being single, but man, it, it was stressful at points. You're like, is this the right thing to How long say? should I wait to reply? How long should I wait? Like, is, the, is, the, is, this, is this too forward? Like, I don't want to make this person uncomfortable, but is it not, or is it not forward enough? Like, have I made, and also have I made sure that like, you know, uh, if it is just a fling I'm after, they know that that's what the goal is. And I'm not like... Yeah, I'm not tricking someone to, I'm not making someone feel like I'm after a relationship. Like I'm not giving them mixed signals, but let's also make sure that I'm not getting fucking mixed signals. Like let, let, let's make sure that I'm making it. And it's, yeah, a whole bunch of. It's a of, fucking minefield, man. Like this yeah. is the thing. This is the thing for the boomers out there or for someone that's been in a relationship for ages that's looking at Tinder and fucking OnlyFans. You would be shit at it. Every single one of you wouldn't last a fucking second. It would be like signing up to the army now, you decrepit old cunts. You'd be shot dead by a sniper you didn't even know was on the field. <laughs>
Like it would just, it would be a fucking drone strike, and you're over. Like, I, yeah, none of you, none of you. If you're over forty, it's over. Okay? Have you seen those memes? And it's where everyone's in the church, and they're sat, and everyone has got a gun behind them, and then there's another frame of a sniper up on a rooftop, and there's another frame of another yeah. sniper up on a rooftop. Yeah, it's like that, man. You uh, you talk about having a child having license, and this is something like this is the most bro science thing ever. But my dad's been saying this. Like for as long as I can remember, I can't yeah. believe that you have to get a license to drive. But all of these idiots have had children without one. Yeah, yeah, man. Not even, not even other people. I, I include myself in that fucking list. I like. I do not think. I think it's the greatest oversight in humanity now that we just let anyone breathe as much as they want. And I include myself in that. There should be a point where I, you know, have to pass certain tests and. Uh, in order to have kids because some people aren't fit to be parents and then some people who want to be who are fit to be parents can't be on the other side so you've got all these people that you know for fertility reasons they would be wonderful parents but they just fucking can't i just i think we need to level the game and also that's a very like close to (laughs) that's one of the bits of the book where on stage i know how to make something very obviously a joke right and it's and it's easier because you, you can be more subtle on stage it's the twinkle in an eye it's the tone of voice it's that little bit of like fucking prolonged eye contact that lets the audience no wink wink i'm just going to say something horrible here and that's the joke itself uh, i don't know how it comes across in a book <laughs> like there's so many bits in that book where i'm like if you just read that straight out like i Fuck I, man, I can't read that book without hearing it in your accent oh, but i challenge okay. anybody to read that book without hearing it in a broad <laughs> scottish accent i but that's but for people that don't fucking know me i'm i, I Why know they my bought fans. the book then well, they bought a book called Everybody You Know Is Going to Die. Because yeah. what? Because it was on fucking the WH Smith's counter in the airport and they thought, oh, I'm off away to Menorca. I better get I better get myself a nice light read. It's between Dan Brown and Daniel Sloss. Yeah. I, won't, I won't bother with the new fucking yeah, I want the two Angels and Demons book. The front cover. Yeah, That's yeah, the... yeah. <laughs> it's their I... fault. Yeah, I I agree, but it's just one of those in a in a time of clickbait culture and you know just people trying to sell stories. But you could very easily there's so many bits in that joke where you could just sorry so many bits in that book where you could just take it out of context and that's and and start a good fire. I mean, but thankfully I'm I'm not on Twitter, therefore I am absolutely fucking immune. You to are completely cancelled. immune. Yeah. What? Uh, why did you call it that? Why is it? Why is that the name? Uh, I that was actually the publisher's uh, choice because I couldn't think of any title, and also I hate. Uh, and this is gonna this is gonna be an accidental slam on some people. I don't mean it to be, but like, if you're a comedian and you're writing a book or a TV show and your name is in the title, you narcissist. Like, but I, I it happened when I was eighteen. I had a pilot for the BBC called Everyone. Oh no, what was it called? It was called Oh The Adventures of Daniel. Like, just because the BBC were so obsessed with getting my fucking name in it. I'm like, just call it anything. It doesn't matter. People don't know who I am. Like, the name doesn't have to be. This isn't Seinfeld where you go, why is it called? Oh. Like, uh, and so they were like, just call it Daniel Sloss's book or and puns on, on that. And I'm like, keep, my name should only be on the fucking side of it. Um, and I don't want it to be any sort of promise. I don't want it to be a... Uh, I don't want the book, to, the title, to be any unfulfillable promise. Like I'm going to fix your life. I'm going to make you feel better. I'm going to do this. 
And it was just, it's one of the lines in the book, which is one of the rants that I have, where it is like we pretend that death is a bad thing, even though it gets rid of like all the bastards. Like sometimes, like don't get me wrong, death is really sad when somebody you love dies. But like, why are we pretending for a second that there are some people on this planet who every second they've been on this planet have tried to make it a worse place and knowingly made it a worse place for their own fucking profits? When those people die, it is objectively fucking good. Objectively good. It's an equal opportunities employer, yes. Yeah, yeah. Man, I've got two bottles of champagne that I bought several years ago. And on the sides of those bottles of champagne are the names of two celebrities who will remain nameless. <laughs> but the day they fucking die, and it's not going on Instagram, it's not it's not for anyone else apart from me. But when they fucking die, pop whee! <laughs> some cunt died and that's a good thing i love when bad people die that's the best bit about movies that was the best bit about game of thrones when bad people you hate die great how do you deal with death because you've dealt with a little bit of it i'm yet to have anyone close in my family die how do you deal with it um i mean not well nobody deals with it well that's the the problem oh well no here's Everyone deals with it as well as they can, but there's no perfect way to deal with it. There's no, um, I mean, I was about to say there's no right and wrong way. There's definitely a wrong way. What's the wrong way? <laughs> oh, you know, taking it out on an entire group of people and killing them, uh, blowing, killing yourself, deciding that it's not worth it anymore, uh, becoming an alcoholic, becoming a drug addict, you know, d- you know, doing things that are, you know, not, but not steps towards getting over the grief, but sometimes steps towards getting over the grief look unusual to people not grieving. Uh, and, and because people grieve in different ways, you'll get a lot of people say, you shouldn't do that. Like for so many people, and this is understandable, where they can't or don't want to laugh after death, which is, man, forget it. Grief is this overwhelming ball around you that you're just in. And and sometimes like laughter just feels disingenuous or even cruel at that point. But to other people, it's the fucking life raft. It's the it's the one it's the bit that reminds them in the grief. To 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 laugh in the face of grief is one of the most defiant things in the fucking world. And it's truly the only way to beat it for, for me personally. The only time I've ever come out of truly come out of sadness. And the moments when I know I'm sad, the moments when I know I'm doing better are when I'm laughing. And man, when you're drowning, you don't care what it is that's keeping you afloat. Like, sure, you get up there and you're like, oh, fuck, this is 19 babies tied together. I really wish 19 babies tied together weren't keeping me afloat. Like, this is objectively evil and a bad thing. But I'm not drowning anymore. Oh, let me go over to this other thing that's floating because I don't want to be careful. Oh, God, it's a bunch of pensioners. It's, a, it's a, okay, and these are alive. Like, is it morally better to, like, be floating because of a bunch of dead babies? Or is it better to, to like, flip them over and then, like, you know just keep my head above water um and people want to be grief police uh they want to tell you that you shouldn't laugh at these things that like that jokes about dead people are disrespectful and you go only if the dead person when they were alive says that's disrespectful understand when i die open fucking season on me for everyone i'm a comedian right i want to fucking die the way i live if you made fun of me when i was alive make fun of me when i'm dead cut this fucking clip out and let people let them fucking roast me say the worst fucking things so and, and so in the future when i'm dead nobody's being disrespectful by laughing at me because that's what I wanted my life to be was to make people laugh. So in my death, I want to make people laugh. I don't want, Oh, I've always said my funeral, what I want it to be 
is every single person in my life going up on stage and telling the worst story about me. Like just a time when I was rude, a time when I was selfish, uh, a time when I was maybe cruel uh, or, 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 or forgetful or unfor unforgiving and just all these negative things. So just by the end of the funeral, people go, oh, maybe it is good. Like maybe like now that... <laughs> Now that, I, now that I've heard those, like, 200 You've stories... You've got this group of people at the back of the room that have all popped bottles of champagne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's fucking gone, bitches! Yeah. Aye, I'm not against any of that. If you can laugh at my fucking funeral, that's... Because also, I want... Because, man, I... Like, as the narcissist, we were saying before, like, you know, when you break up with someone, you imagine you've ruined their life and there's no recovery we do get the same narcissism of like, man, when I'm dead, how, how will the world go on? How will, how will they, Christopher? This how will you live without me? Fucking <laughs> with glee, my friend. And, and for many years, I get the impression, given the lifestyle that you've gone through. I, uh, oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. We finally, the other day when we were in, um, we were in Estonia, uh, and just the comedians out there. It was the first time me and Kai have ever had this compliment. It's a compliment we've always known we were worthy of, but it's one we've just never been given. And it was just one of the other guys being like, man, like we genuinely don't understand how you tour the way you tour. Like it's just like it, nobody else does it like that. We were like, good, good, right. Just as long as we're aware. Uh, we are the only rock and roll comedians truly left. What's that mean? Um, well, I mean... Uh, we were so, well, at least for me, when I was younger, I was so desperate to, you know, be a touring comic and you build it up in your head that you go out and you, you know, you drink and you party and you uh, live these lives. So there was times when we were, like, at least on me, on me and Kai's fucking first tour, we were so desperate because we were like, we're on a 60-date tour, like, well, 50 dates over 60 days. And we would go out drinking on a Tuesday in Banbury after playing to 25 fucking people. Like, let's go out, let's try and get laid. And we're like, man, just go to fucking bed. What are you doing? <laughs> fucking, like, we go to fucking Bexhill on a Wednesday, both sharing a travel lodge, and then we'd be in the car park downstairs smoking weed, just hotboxing his Vauxhall Astra because we weren't allowed to smoke in the rooms because we were so desperately like, this is too. This is rock and roll, yeah. And then when the tours started getting bigger, like when we started doing European stuff, like we were going from city to city to city to city to city every night. But after each show, we would go out and get drunk because we wanted to drink. Because we always thought it was going to be over. We couldn't believe that we were gigging in Lithuania or Poland or Estonia or any of these places. Uh, and so we'd drink until three in the morning and then get on the plane the next day, fly to the next place. And because that new place is so excited to see you as well, they want to go out as well. And we were just like, okay, I guess we're just going out. And we're going to do this because we might not ever get to do this tour again. And then that tour happened seven more times and now I'm an alcoholic. And that's how it gets you. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're going to America tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this will be... Uh, I mean, after this one, because of the way the tour has been and because of how I handle things during the pandemic, like I'm, I'm making one of those vows to myself where I'm going to be after this tour is done. Uh, and once I get back from America, that's me going sober for a bit. Why Just, after this tour? Why not for this tour? Because uh, that would be a uh, uh, that's not a realistic goal. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a man. I'm going back to America. Do you know, do you know how many British comedians have cracked America? It's like four. It's like you know, uh, I'm man. It's a, like I to this day I can't believe that I get to you know. How many dates you got? 
47. No, 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 no. So we're there. We're, we're for 52 days, and I think it's like 35 shows. That's disgusting. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, man, man, when we're doing like real, like we're doing the Beacon Theatre, we're doing the Orpheum, we're doing the Wilbur twice. Like we're doing theatres that like when I was growing up watching uh, stand up and, and, and consuming stand up, like these are the venues that ev like all the big dogs fucking performed at. So to be doing a tour, actually playing and selling out uh, those venues, I'm like, I'm not doing I'm not not doing that tour the way I think it should be done. And the way I think that should be done is enjoying every second of it, not saying no to fucking anything. We've got a tour manager again. Like, it's his job to drive us places. And, Poor bastard. Uh, I know. I know. No, no, big, big shout out to uh, Neil, my tour manager. Like, he he enjoys it too. Because, man, we're not, we're not, like, fucking, we're not meth heads. We're not doing coke every fucking night or heroin. Like, we're just, we like drinking and we like marijuana. And... You know, uh, we we haven't been able to tour America in two years. Uh, it's genuinely, despite America's deep, deep problems with literally everything, I think they are some of the most comedy intelligent audiences in the world because they they've just they they've had it. their type of comedy as, as storytellers. It's been there. They're very comedy literate, and that's why they're fun to perform in. So don't they're man. There's comedy clubs in every single fucking. State and good ones and several ones. Like it's comedy's been part of stand up comedy, especially has probably existed in America, I'd say, the longest, at least in its current form. What's an American audience like compared with the British one? <laughs> a bit more shitty. Uh, What's that mean? Beep -beep. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> shooty. I thought you said yeah. shitty. It's the accent oh, again. no, also true. No, no, no. Um, they are, I mean, they're more, they're scarier to offend. Like a British person will write a letter, uh, an American will kick your head in outside. Uh, you know, Americans, you know, they take things, they, when, they, when they do take things personally, taking it personally is, uh, has a lot. Grave consequences. Yeah. Um, they are much more high energy. Like the, one of the things I really find fascinating about American audiences is, uh, the American confidence is something that just doesn't exist in the world. And American, even un unconfident Americans who tell you they're unconfident are still some of the most confident people. Americans are so violently themselves. So, like, they, they don't, they're just so 110% American all of the time. Like, I've, 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 I've never, like, even introverted Americans are like, I'm introverted. And you're like, buddy, you ain't. Like, the fuck are you talking about? Uh, but that confidence in an audience is unbelievable because if you're doing a sh gig in, let's say, like a sensitive part of the Eng England, London, right? You're doing a gig in London. You do a risque joke about whatever. If there are 50% uh, of the audience that like that joke, right, and the other 50% don't, that 50% that do like it are not going to laugh because British people like laughing as groups. Like a lot of audiences would go, okay, oh no, it's part of the fucking status quo and I don't want to fucking stand out here because I don't want to have to, you know, de defend my decision to laugh here and I'm not confident enough to be the one laughing alone. Every American has the confidence to laugh alone. They couldn't give a fucking shit. Like I've done, I've been at comedy clubs where there's 300 people in a room and a comedian's on stage and only seven people are enjoying that comedian. But fucking hell, those seven are enjoying that comedian. And they'll make it known. They'll clap, they'll fucking cheer, they'll say, hell yeah, woo, all that fucking shit that the Americans do as an audience. You're not a fan of the woo, though. Hate it. I think it's the most disruptive uh, thing in the entire world uh, for co comedy is timing.
Like that's the comedy's all about fucking timing and a woo is just a like a Ric Flair heckle. This isn't you helping the show. This is you so desperate to be hurt. So desperate. Like and and you're doing it because you agree with something ahead. So it's virtue signaling in a way. Like it's this like I say something, you go, you go, Woo! You're like, Mother motherfucker, I don't care if you agree. I said it. It's my fucking point. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Like, hey, 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 never forget, you all pay to look this way, and I get paid to look that way. That's the fucking dynamic. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> what about good friendships? Because you talk about that in the book, right? And you talk about Kai and tour manager and stuff like that. But you got friends with girls that you've been friends with for years and what yeah. about principles of good friendship and lessons that you've got from that? Um, I, I think it's, you know, I, I would say my friends will all tell you that I'm a very, very good friend. Uh, I sometimes feel like a bad friend because I'm really bad at communication and staying in contact with friends. If you're in front of me as my friend, I'll talk to you for hours and hours and hours until you go. But if one of my friends texts me, hey, how are you? I'm like, Ugh, what are you doing? Like let's like I'll I'll talk to you when I fucking see you. Like I travel, I'm gonna be on my phone all day, just you know, messing you. But I do like my friends from high school uh, and the ones that do keep in contact with me because you know the, the friendships I've had the longest and the people that have known you the longest are very very good at telling you when you're not being true to yourself. Like they're the ones that you know are able to. You know, they're very supportive, at least my friends are. But anytime I've stepped out of line or let my ego's gone too fucking big or they feel like I'm going in a direction that's not me, they'll go, oi, dickhead. Because who I am doesn't matter to them. And then that's absolutely the way it should be. Like, I am the only people that think I'm, you know, famous and important are the people that fucking love me. And you should enjoy their opinions, those, but you should, that shouldn't be what you think of yourself. It's the people that have known you the, the longest. And I, I think it's very, very important to have friends for, friends that you can trust to do anything for you and who you would do anything for, but ones that are going to be honest when you need them to be. Like that's, you know, in a, in a world of fucking lies and bullshit, you need the people that are willing to look you dead in the eyes and go, "You're a cunt now," and 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 I've had that happen a lot at different points in my life from people I love, being like, "You are turning into a fucking cunt," and every time it made me take a big step back and go, "Okay," like that hurt. Don't get me wrong, that like that was a deep kick in the fucking balls there, but you know you wouldn't be saying it if it wasn't true. It's one of those things. We've got a loneliness pandemic or a loneliness epidemic sort of sweeping the world at the moment, and it is. It's one of those things. I'm surprised by some of the comments that I see on YouTube. I did an episode with Jordan Peterson, and we talked about um, losing friends as you grow older. So as you grow up and you kind of change, and maybe people were with you, but you're not that person that they were with anymore. It's not that they actually love the essence of you. It's that they loved Party Dan or TV Dan yes. or whatever the fuck. Um, and I was really surprised in the comments because people were saying, a lot of people, and this may skew because YouTube attracts people who maybe spend more time on the internet than they do with friends, but... I was really surprised at how many people said, don't need friends, like, try, tried to, to work with other people, like, I'll make a go of it on my own. I'm like, man, like, I, I understand the compulsion of where that's coming from. I genuinely do. Like, the world scorned you, and you've tried to make friends with people, and it hasn't worked, and you now think, right, fuck that, I'm not going to bother, I'm just going to keep to mm. myself, and this is a safer way to not get hurt. 
I'm just surprised. I'm surprised by how many people how many people I, have I, that I, approach. Yeah, I, and that man, that saddens me, man. Like I, man, I love my uh, I love my friends, and I wouldn't be the person I am today without them. Like I, I'm terrified of the person I would be if I was just given fucking free range and not corrected. And I'm not being corrected in bad ways. I'm not being hampered or you know, cut down, but there's people that no one want the best for me. And when I'm not acting with my, because we, man, we, we like to think we know when we're acting with our own, in our own self-interests, but that's not how the ego works. And that's not how, you know, we're not that, at least I'm not that fucking intelligent that I don't know when I'm self-sabotaging or when I'm being fucking lazy or man, uh, on the other side of things, like, man, there was points on this tour during this tour now where I fucking hated the show. Like, because I'd, I'd just done it too much and I was just, if I was being, now that I'm, I'm past it, I can be honest, I was getting just a bit lazy. I was kind of reining it in a bit. And we did some shows in London and London's very sensitive nowadays. And 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 I, I was fucking hating the show and I was just ranting about it to anyone that would fucking listen. And it was my friends that have known me for several years and seen all my stuff that were like, okay, cool. Like, we're, we're sad that you're sad, but this is a good show. And we know it better than you do at this point. Like you're being illogical. On the other side of things, it um, helps. But uh, man, I'm very good at cutting people out of my life too. Like if there's somebody in my life who I don't like it, like just because we've been friends for eight to nine years, like if you make such a turn in personality that I can't see eye to eye with you anymore, and not just like on a fucking little political thing. Like I, I don't want to be one of those people where man, I don't agree with you politically, but we're still friends. Like I, I, I think it's politics is such a small thing and in the actual experience of life uh, to to yeah, We lose. bond over far more than like, what yeah. are your thoughts of fiscal policy or where should we be at to do with this type of like gun regulation or some fucking bullshit? Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, like, I think t- it's important to have fucking feelings on those things and, 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 and opinions and everything. But for me personally, for who I am, I, I, I don't really care. Like I don't talk about, I'll vote and you'll vote and then that's what I'll, happen we're not going to change each other's opinions realistically uh but if there's somebody that's done something reprehensible or i just think they've become a shitty fucking person i can cut you out like that and feel and the reason i can't do that is because i've got a bunch of other friends <laughs> that's why you need lots <laughs> Backup of armor yeah, uh, yeah you were yeah. talking there about having lost a little bit of love for one of the shows that you did yeah so you're touring and you did this with a bunch of different shows you've done one of them what like 400 times or something or five we did, we did no we did x i think was yeah 300 uh, performances disgusting of amount of times yeah and yeah just yeah an inhumane amount how do you not lose love for the art form generally how do you stop yourself from resenting comedy wholesale because you're kind of you've turned something that you love into a labor well that's it's it's about slowing it down um like it's it's about understanding that you know, for so many of years of my career, it was all about striking while the iron was hot because it was like, who knows when this is going to be over? Like, I was given this opportunity here and I'm really hot right now. I've got a fucking act on Work this. hard. Yeah. 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 And then that went, that went, that led to this and then another iron strike and I've got to fucking work hard. Now I've got to capitalize on this and so on and so forth. And then the reason that that 300 uh, show tour was such a nightmare was just because it was after Netflix came out and everything blew up. And uh, and we were just constantly striking, and it turned into this 300-day tour, and I lost the love of the job, and I resented my audience, which I never wanted to do or, or, or get to that stage because that's just such a stereotypical, oh, all of your dreams came true, and then you hated them. Like, oh, fuck, you've really become that cunt? Like, you're that old trope? Jesus. 
Um, but it's uh, I, I worked so many I worked so hard for so many years so that I could take the foot off the accelerator. And thankfully now my career is at a position where I can just go. All right, I'm established in all continents apart from you know Antarctica. The cold ones. Yeah, yeah, the cold ones. Um, I do, you know, most territories. Um, I, I think the, the only people I'm second to are like Eddie Azard, um, Jimmy, uh, Gabriel Iglesias, and Bill Barr. Um, and uh, my audience are great. They're incredibly loyal because I've managed to somehow fucking make something that went quite cult, and that's been very cool. Uh, and now it's slowing down. It's just going, man. I wanted, I want to be able to do this show many times because that's uh, touring has always been the goal for me. I love it. It's my favourite part. That's what being a comedian is: is touring. That's the job. I'm a road comic, uh, and but it's about making sure there's gaps in between those tours and that they're easy. It doesn't have to be every single day now. Like it can be. I can take two or three weeks off at a time, then go to Australia, do a month in Australia come back, take a month off and then start doing around the UK just so that I've got time to be myself uh, because it's not fucking Daniel Sloss stage comedian that comes up with the jokes. It's not him. like he performs what I think, but I've got to have fucking time to think, uh, to turn over stuff. Otherwise, I'm if I'm working every day and I'm being that heightened psychopath on stage, then <laughs> that's not good. And also, man, I drink on stage. And because after the show, when you've got so much adrenaline, man, it's really hard to go to sleep for me without marijuana after a show. Like, you know, if a show ends at fucking 11 and I'm meeting fans afterwards uh, and taking photos until about midnight, half 12, uh, and, and my flight's at 5 a.m. Without weeds, I'm not sleeping. There's too much. And that's another fact that you have to take in. If I'm doing a big, long tour, I know my health's going to fucking deteriorate because I don't have the emotional maturity yet to to not feel like a fucking rock star when I do this. And I know I shouldn't, and I'm working on it, but that's the, you know, this this tour is like the, the reason I'm, I'm allowing myself this America tour to be everything I want it to be is because I, I, I really do think this is the last time I'll I'll, I'll do it like this because this is the post-covid one everyone's gonna be fucking excited to be out i'm excited to be out and doing it uh and i'm just like just fucking do it properly because after this i'm definitely considering yeah yeah oh well my i mean no because like, i mean you were an inspiration for it you were sober for how long a thousand days yeah so i mean i'll not do that much but all my friends, uh, there's another great comedian called Nick Cody uh, who went sober for a year, and he says it really. Uh, he said it was difficult, but it really helped. Well, he said the first month's difficult, and then after that, it's a habit, and it's just it's easy. Like from that point, once you get used to not doing it, you know. Um, and I've always fascinated. Like I mean, I know I drink a lot, and I mean I'm a drug addict when it comes to marijuana, which isn't a bad thing to be addicted to but it being addicted to anything isn't fucking great for years you what would know, be regard. harder to kick drinking or marijuana marijuana really yeah 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 yeah. definitely yeah um i can i i, I like drinking on stage um because well for several reasons me i one of the big ones i think it makes me look cool like and and, and, I re, and um, when i grew up and i watched stand up bill hicks would smoke on stage 
Ed Byrne would smoke on stage. I still associate smoking with being fucking cool. Anytime I can smoke on stage, I do, even if I don't smoke. Like, but if we're in like Russian venues or fucking uh, Bulgarian venues, I'm like, can I smoke on stage? They're like, yeah, we don't care. I'll do it. Really hard to time jokes. And so that's a different fuck. You'd think it would just be easy, but no. Really makes you appreciate that Dylan Moran uh, and, and, and Bill Hicks were masters of timing with all this. Um, but Dylan Moran drinking a bottle of wine on stage, that He's was always just so great. cool. What's he doing? Is he doing stand up still? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, he's. Um, oh, he does that. He does a lot of acting nowadays. Yeah. I knew he got huge into TV. Um, and, and and writing and stuff. Um, but no, he still does stand up. I mean, I love Dylan Moran. Um, so for me, man, I used to drink gin and tonics on stage. And uh, <laughs> that just felt like a bit fucking. Widow way to me? No, like you know, gin and tonic's a widow's drink. Like it's something you drink on the porch while you do a crossword and reminisce about your fucking late husband. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas, you know, I I got into whiskey and I'm like, I'm I'm Scottish, uh, and 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 it's it's a strong drink and also it forces me to slow down. You can't like with a gin and tonic. I could. You can't do that with whiskey. It's a real slow fucking drink, um, and yeah, and it's part of the, it's part of the performance. Like it's part of the illusion, or the fear of like the reason, the reason you don't talk while I'm talking, is because I've got so much to say that I can afford to sit down, pour myself a whiskey, drink it, and you as an audience will say fucking nothing. <laughs> <laughs> where can people go if they need to get tickets for the america tour uh, just danielsloss.com all of the dates are up there amazing and everyone you hate is going to die will be linked in the show notes below don't try and contact you on social media because you're not on there nope i mean you could i mean you can um my my agent will occasionally send me a screenshot of a nice compliment but i don't read many of my agent's emails so it doesn't i'm not even necessarily gonna see that man Um, look good luck with the tour dude and uh, i will see you when you're back all right definitely man big love love you too bud